0: Hello and welcome to Clamp, the Creating Living and Making Podcast. I'm your host, Morley Kurt, and joining me as always is Grant Alexander. Hello. And Adam Mackey. Hi. What's up this week, guys? What is in your clamps, Adam?
1: It sounds so weird somebody say it. I haven't really <laughs> <No>. done anything. <laughs> I um I've been working every day, but I got a new tool, which is pretty cool. It's, um, so I got a new sander. Yes, I didn't mean to rhyme that. I got a new sander and it's, um, it has like replaceable bases. So, you know, how you have like a sheet sander. It's got a base that like that that you can put that base on and it has these like prongs that stick up in the bottom of the, um, the actual sander, like motor part. Mm -hmm. And that like locks it in place. So it can't spin. And then there's like the mouse, attachment like the triangle thing and then you have got like the round orbital which you put that on which doesn't have the prongs and it spins ah and i wondered about it's that it's really um yeah it's really cool it's um and it was only 50 bucks from audi i mean it's probably not the best quality but like i literally used it for five seconds with 180 grit sandpaper and it was better than using
0: my ryobi for like a couple of minutes with 120 grit Easy. My, my sander is from Aldi. I didn't, it was a gift from my sister and I didn't know where it was from forever. And I finally like found out it's like an in-store brand. Is it Ferrix? Uh, I think it's Parkside. I'm happy with it. It seems to be pretty bulletproof.
1: Yeah. Well, because th- like this one, it looks more like what you would expect a like a fez tool or something like that to look in person. Hmm. Not like the, like not just like a big sort of cylinder thing. It's like a full on, it's like, I don't know. I put pictures on Instagram. People saw it. It's
0: a little more swoopy. Hmm. Yeah. So pretty stoked about that. Nice.
1: And then, um, I guess the only other thing I've been working on is I've been trying to decide whether still trying to decide whether I'm going to paint my workbench or not. I'm now thinking of going the other way and doing like inverted colors to what my current like benches are. So like have pine as like the main color of the drawers and everything. And then where I was going to have white, like borders and stuff, have like a dark green, like Mm. dark stain on pine.
0: Have Uh, you, have you tried mocking it up? Like, have you, have you put those colors in fusion to see what it might look like?
1: Well, I I could do it in fusion. That might be a good way to figure it
0: out. I've got some time at work tomorrow. I might do that. Nice. how it looks. Hmm. Well, Grant, what have you been up to this week?
2: Well, not very much. Uh, still not back to a hundred percent on my back. I uh, was. We did finally publish the Clamp website, which is the Woo! exciting thing. Which has been uh, a little while in the working, but uh, you know, when you can't sit down, it makes it really hard to do any kind of computer work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I, I did is I disassembled the. Uh, the first sit-down stand-up desk I had and assembled a new sit-down stand-up desk that is slightly more rigid. I'm still not 100% happy with how rigid stuff is, but I think part of that's because my monitor is uh, just a very, like, susceptible to being moved. So if it wasn't for the, my monitor moving, I like, my laptop doesn't move That now. Like, I can make it move, but uh, the monitors just like shakes like crazy. So it makes it really hard to type because as you're trying to look at it, it just keeps moving and it's just very frustrating. So, so do you think I think
1: we need to get a, a monitor stand that clamps to the desk.
2: Well, that's like, it's like you guys can't just let me finish sentences sometimes. <laughs> uh, so what I, I want to do is clamping to the desk sounds good, but then it still, uh, you know, has the potential for, uh, it being like moving with the desk. So what I was thinking is I should just get one that clamps to the wall and then slides up and down. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like on a ball bearing system on the wall, and then you can like lock it so that it's not attached to the desk.
1: Surely you could just get a TV mount that does that.
2: And so the problem but- is the up and the problem is the up and down. Right, mm. So you need something that, that can easily go up and down with the desk.
0: So if you want it to go up and down with the desk, but you don't want it rigidly linked, you could use a pulley and have it on the wall with the ball bearing. Yeah. There you go. That could work. I like it. Except for also, I, I mean, I if know. you want to <laughs> – What was
2: that? Go ahead.
0: If you want it – if the problem is that it's just shaking, I mean, a more just rigid mount would probably do it as well. Like if you had some sort of like triangle rather than an arm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Have you looked into if you can like retrofit the sit stand desk to make it more rigid, like add a crossbeam or something?
2: So the way that like basically because of the way it works, I don't think you can because the like anywhere you would attach would move. So any kind of bracing that you would put in there would have to move up and down. And that just doesn't sound like it's going to work because the legs, it's like telescope out mm-hmm. and the rigid part of the leg is at the bottom and the telescope comes out from there.
0: Right. I mean, you could, I, I I'm pretty sure I know what the frame looks like. Couldn't you add something between the f- the two feet like on the ground
2: or that's, that's not where it's shaky. Okay, I, I definitely could. I just don't like. That's not the shaky part. Gotcha. It's more like like front to back, and it just any any kind of like extra bracing just seems like it wouldn't assist. I could make the desk smaller, and then it wouldn't be as much of a problem. But then I kind of lose the, what I'm going for. It just yeah. yeah
1: Basically, I I need to once, sp- uh, like three laptops and 20 monitors.
2: (laughs) I just, I want a deeper desk so that I can easily like when I make a phone call and I'm writing on like a pad of paper I just want to push my keyboard out of the way um, and easily be able to do it. Um, So that's why I wanted to go with like a 30 inch deep desk. And it also just fits perfectly in the spot that I want to put it in. I just have a thing that's, I just have a vision in my mind and I will make it work. It just might take time. Cool. Yeah.
0: Well, it might be a, it might be a cool uh, optimization project. Totally.
2: Yeah, I have another mm. idea, which basically would be that you run rails on the wall. And you have some sort of like way of connecting the desk to these rails on the wall. So then it's rigidly attached to the rails, but can roll up and down yeah i don't I don't know exactly how, but something with springs or something I don't know
0: yeah I'm sure we could spend a whole episode kind of like talking this through
2: uh, <laughs> i see i see what you're going on now you're saying let's get let's move on let's <laughs> <laughs>
0: um well this week um it's it's definitely been a a process getting used to my new schedule, not in a bad way, but just you know when you start a new thing and you're getting used to like the extra time that you have to take. I haven't had a ton of time for working on my own projects, but I did finish up this guy. So for the video watchers or the audio listeners, um, this is a Mora knife, which is a, I think it's a Swedish knife company. They make this really great camping knives and carving knives and other things. Um, And I wasn't a fan of the handle that this came with. It's a rubberized plastic handle that doesn't feel like it reflects the quality of the knife. So I made a Baltic birch handle for it, which I power carved with a rotary tool. And I'm like super happy with how it came out. It kind of reminds me of a bowling alley because it's, I put like six coats of finish on it. So it's like super smooth and shiny. And, um, you know, like the Baltic birch plies kind of have that sort of um, effect. So the knife itself is done. I'm now working on the sheath for it. Um, Yeah. It's this like kind of random project that I've had in my head for a while that, um, it feels nice to kind of finally be working on a little bit. It's just one of those things that I just needed to, to get down to see what it would look like. Um, and I tried, I'd made pins for the first time through the handle, which, um, I've actually that saw blade knife handle that I made for a while, a while back for Eden that actually never made it back to North America because she brought it with her to Singapore and while it was there, actually, one of the scales fell off. And I think the reason for that was I didn't use pins. But she never brought it back because she didn't want to be like hassled by Singaporean customs. Uh, she's a little worried about that. So it, it, it now lives in Singapore. Um, but hopefully the pins will add some longevity to this one. This one.
1: When we went to um, Fiji the beginning of last year, I had my pocket knife in my pocket and didn't realize until I got to the airport. But luckily, I worked for the train. So, I just went up to one of the people there and said, hey, can you mail this back to my home depot? And then they held on to it for me. Nice. Because I I probably wouldn't have got that through customs. I think I could have put it in my, like, check-in luggage or something, but I didn't really want to do the hassle. It was too sentimental. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: In, uh, in Canada, for in like in Canada flights, you can uh, bring a knife on board the plane up to, what? I think it's three inches of blade.
0: Yeah, I remember that was a new rule three a few inches. years ago. Yeah, I think and it's I, three inches. Yeah, I think it has to be under three. Like, I think a Swiss Army yeah. knife would be okay.
2: Yeah, well, it definitely a, is because I have took my Swiss Army knife on the plane.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a pretty long blade.
2: Yeah. He looks down at his hit at his three inch <laughs> comparison.
1: <laughs> so, Morley, I'm curious that you said that that was a um, like something you've wanted to do for a while. But were you expecting the handle to be replaced? Like, was that planned or?
0: It was kind of. Um, it was. It was. I knew I wanted to do a Baltic birch handle for a while. Um but I kind of had like no idea how I was going to go about doing it. So I kind of had to just like dive in and start. So it sort of came, became this kind of like it, it turned into this project, which is like I am figuring out the current scale of my free time right now. So like this is something I don't have to put a ton of planning time into. And I can just kind of like do discrete steps before and after work. So it fit in very well for that. And I think having those sort of like more spontaneous projects in some ways are really nice for that when you when you really just like want to make something, but you don't necessarily have the time to do all of like the other steps or things that might take like an hour or two hours. I mean, that's another thing about doing small projects, but not having to put in all the planning time and the sunk costs of like oh, well, this went wrong and now I lost an entire day can be like a nice gumption builder as Robert Persig would say, one of my favorite expressions.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't know who that is. He, uh, he's the wrote Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance, which we've, uh, me and Grant have talked about before.
2: I, the name sounded really familiar, but I couldn't recall where it came from and, and it just didn't seem to, to pop. Because when I think of gumption, I think of uh, Nick Offerman.
0: Mm. His yeah, yeah, called gumption. Same same idea with Nick Offerman. Yeah.
1: When you say gumption, I think of a cleaning product that we have here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good name for a cleaning product. It's sort of like um, sugar soap, but more of a powder. Not more of a. I don't know paste.
2: Well, I always think it's. I'm always more excited to do a spontaneous project. Like when something pops into my head and I can get it done, like I'm like really super excited for it. When I spend time planning something Mm -hmm. out, I end up using all of my like exciting powers in the plan. And then things kind of fizzle out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who said this and maybe you guys can help me remember because I'm sure it was someone we all follow on social media, but they posted something about how like when you get an idea that you're excited about, this person is very mindful about recording it immediately. And I don't know if it was in the context of sketching or if it was actually in making, but they're like, you got to, you got to get it down when you're still excited about it because that excitement fades really quickly. Um, I do remember someone saying that. Yeah. I wish we could give them credit. Um, but it's a great idea, right? Because like sometimes things, ideas can start to feel stupid so quickly. And the the idea might not be stupid. It might be a great idea, but you don't really know until you start prototyping and sketching and maybe even just like making it. Like that was the thing with this knife. Like I thought it would be a cool effect, the Baltic birch, but I had no idea like what it would actually look like. I was just like, Ooh, stripes carved. It's going to make some nice swoopiness. Let's, uh, you kind of have, you, you develop those instincts to sort of trust yourself that like an idea that you're excited about could be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd you know be a good idea is if you had something that you could write on, like
1: when you're falling asleep and you come up with an idea. Wow. That's a great idea. I might have to make something <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, that's funny. I'm actually like the opposite. When I think up of a, like a project that I want to do, like when it pops into my head, the first thing I want to do is get into like fusion and design it. Um, yeah. but I think that's just because like fusion is like my getaway that I can do when I'm not in the shop. So it's like my way of building straight away, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think if I had more time where I wasn't able to go in the shop, but I had access to a computer that would totally make sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah it's and, so, and same, the opposite, if I, could go in the shop every day and didn't wasn't on my computer as much, then I probably would not plan as much.
0: I think ideally, like my favorite way of working is to do those spontaneous, like let's do the project right when I get the idea. But there haven't been many times in my life that I've had the setup to actually do that. That's been the really nice thing about 3D mm. printing is I can execute on something right when I get the idea. Like, yes, I have to do some of the modeling, but I'm quick enough in modeling that like I can keep the excitement in the like 30 minutes to an hour it takes to sort of like design it or at least like get it started. But one of the really cool things about working in the makerspace now is that I have access to all these tools that if I get an idea for something for the makerspace, I can kind of start acting on it right then. But now it's funny, like yesterday I got an idea for like a, a larger scale project to improve the space, which is like something they want me to work on. I kind of recognized that the idea wasn't fleshed out enough that I still needed to think about it a little more before I kind of like shared it with my boss. And that's something in terms of like working for other people and making projects, like that's a lesson I learned in those things is like, sometimes you, you don't want to share it right away because you might not have the answers to the questions that they're, they're bound to ask about it. You got to let it marinate a little more internally.
2: Right. Right. And especially if if it's not well thought out, you might share something that ends up not being the best idea. You like you think about it a little more, you plan it out, and you go, you know what would actually be better, and then you share that better idea. And you you know because if you share an idea with someone and then they get excited about it, you're kind of stuck on that that path. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're working for a client or or working making something for someone else.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, and that's, that's something I've had to get used to these last, you know, just like going from being my own boss for this past year versus working for someone else is like, I can marinate on an idea for as long as I want. But if I'm working with someone else, then they, things just feel like they move a lot faster because if everyone's excited about it, then you're all kind of like going off of each other's energy. And then you're right. If you say an idea that isn't fully fleshed out, maybe the wrong thing gets made. That's why I definitely prefer to make things for myself
1: rather than commissions. I decided commissions are just not for me. Mm-hmm. I just, the stress of it all, if not, like if something's not perfect and like even making stuff for my wife stresses me out because if something's not completely perfect, she'll pick me up on it.
2: Mm. My wife is much nicer. <laughs> she just likes it if I finish a project. She's happy no matter how it looks or how it functions, as long as it's done.
1: Well, I've told my wife that many times that she wants it done within an hour or something. It's not
0: going to be perfect. (laughs) I I mean, this this is a good comparison with planned projects because I think a lot of commissions do tend to have like a longer planning stage. And it's similar even to like projects that take longer to plan for yourself. And those I find do sometimes have like a more satisfying payoff because you've put so much into them that, you know, there's more of like, you're, you're taking more of a risk. Like you've, you've put all this time and effort into it. Then if it turns out great, it sometimes feels nicer than if a spontaneous project does, it's a different feeling, but that is like one of with commissions and longer term projects, when you can kind of like make that vision come true, it's very like, it's, it's more satisfying in a grand scale sometimes, but I agree, Adam, like I've, I've made a conscious effort to step away from commissions this year. There's like a, a, a larger one that I am working on, but even that one is like, there is a certain amount of stress that comes with it. And I have to be constantly like talking myself down from the ledge being like, it's okay. It's not a rush. It will be good. You just have to kind of like trust the process and, it's just a very different uh, pace of work from making something spontaneously for yourself or for a video. Yeah, for sure. I um, So
1: like I did the draws last year for that land cruiser and beat myself up about it the whole time because I just wasn't happy with how they were turning out. I said to the guy when he came, like, you know, there's a few things I'm not happy with. And then I just deleted all the footage I refused to make a video and put it out because I'm just not happy with it.
2: Oh but that's too bad because I thought I, it was really cool. I,
1: Should have done it. Yeah, I bet on camera people would think it was perfect and fine. But, but to me you could I could have wasn't e- happy
2: with it. you could have easily just explained what you weren't happy with and how you would have done it better next time.
1: Yeah, but then like by the end of it I wasn't happy, so I didn't get finishing shots and installation shots and I just wasn't filming as much and I didn't get the shots I need to actually make a video out of it i
2: yeah, yeah,
1: that is more. Yeah.
2: That is something that I, I definitely have battled with in the past. Where I start filming because I'm excited about something, and then halfway through, I start worrying about like wh- how it's going to turn out. And so I mm-hmm. get less excited about it and I, like second guess myself constantly, and I stop filming the project. And then in the end, either it turns out really great. And I'm like super devastated that I don't have any of the, like I have only have half a project film or it turns out crappy. And I go, ah, it's okay. I'll live with that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: Well, so I, I have a problem of not completing projects and it's generally because they're not planned out enough. And I, I think I take, like, I I listened to like, obviously Jimmy Dresta. I've, We've been on the podcast before, but one of the things he always says is like, get working and, and the way to do it's going to come to you. And I think that's true, except for the fact that I don't have the experience he does. Right. And I don't have the skills he does. So sometimes I'll start something and I'll not know what the next step is. Like I tore down the wall between two of the rooms in my house in 2016, it's still not complete. Well, the rooms are now one, but I'm still working on like finishing that entire project of turning two rooms into one master bedroom. Uh, most of it's done, but it's just like there's little things left over. Um, and it's always like one more thing that I go. I was really excited when I did it, like super excited. Go get into it. But if I would planned it out a little better, I'd probably be done by now.
0: I think it's it's difficult when, you know, like a project that you don't know a lot about is also feels large scale because it's really easy then to get like paralyzed by indecision. I think the Jimmy DiResta's advice of just like get started and one step at a time, have each thing inform the next works really well when it is like a personal project that isn't for someone else and that doesn't have high stakes. Um, I mean, I think it could work if you're doing a room renovation. It's just that I think a lot of people don't have – most people don't have the confidence to just kind of like follow each step with the next. And I think, Grant, probably with you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but having smaller periods of time to work in also makes it difficult to finish that if it's not all planned out because you have to spend this time kind of just like staring at it and figuring out the next step and you can't sort of just like do a bunch of mindless work because you didn't have all the – pre-planning time of knowing what that mindless work is.
2: And I, I actually think that's a big part of why I'm not as productive as I need to be is because I spend too much time figuring out what I need to do next. And if you're, yeah. if you've planned it out, you know what the next step is and you just go and do it. Right. Or if you've done something like if you're building drawers and you've built a million drawers before you just know, okay, the next step is I do this and then I do that and then, know, or boxes or whatever, you know, or like making a leather knife sheath or, or a belt, you know what the next step is. So you, you don't sit there and look at it and go, should I stitch first or should I glue? F-? Like you just know, okay, the next step is I'm going to glue it and then I'm going to stitch it and then I'm going to, mm-hmm. right. Like, then I'm going to finish the edges and then I'm going to, or whatever. Like you don't, I, I find I spend a lot of time going like debating what's the best way forward instead of actually moving forward.
0: And I think that if you really look at a lot of finished products, you'll see that a lot of the time it doesn't really matter as much as you think it does. (laughs) Like people do things in many different ways and they, they all tend to look pretty good. And some of them even don't look pretty good, but a lot of times people don't care. Like they don't look at that level of detail. I thought, so a few weeks ago, Eden and I, we went to this beautiful park in Toronto. I think it's the biggest park in the city. It's called high park. Um and the history of the park is they have all of these all of these like old estates sort of combined their land and gave it to the city to build this park. So there's a few very old houses on the land um, that were built in like the early 1800s and I'm sure many makers do this, but we were walking around one of the houses and I was just like zeroing in on all the little construction details especially as someone who's like never built a house, I'm just like fascinated by that stuff. So I'm like, okay, how did they like frame the windows? How did they attach the columns to like the top of this porch, especially like if it being built a while ago. And a lot of times you look at that and you realize that like, it's very logical. It's not really overthought. It just like sort of makes sense when you think about, you know, the flow of forces and where water is going to go. Um, Of course, knowing all of those issues to look out for is – takes a lot of experience, but, um, I guess looking at a lot of those things, it it can be, it can be overwhelming, but it can also be a little heartening to see like, oh, there's, there's lots of different ways you can build a house.
2: I, and I, I think the more knowledge I get, and I think we've talked about this before, the more knowledge I get, the more I second guess myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I, I used to be happy, like, I think I, this was my exact thing is I used to be happy to just screw some two by fours together and call that a, a desk. And now if it's not perfectly jointed and planed and and you know perfectly glued together with you know, then I'm like, well it's not it's not good. It's, I need to throw this one in the trash, right? And it's like I wish I could go back to like ignorance is bliss. And I think what I mm-hmm. like about when I do a project and I don't plan it out and I'm actually able to finish it, is that when I'm excited about it, I just get into it and do it. And I worry less about the final, like perfection of the final product. And I, I get more into like, I'm going to make it work. It's like the uh, folding bucksaw that that uh, you, you used uh, when we went camping. I was super excited about that. I made it with the intention of it being a prototype. I've never made the non-prototype version. I have one that works. <laughs> right? And I think that's the, like, the problem is, so I made the first one, it's not perfect, but it works. And so now I want the second one to be perfect. So I have to plan it out meticulously, right?
0: And, and I will say that first one, like, it works very well. Like, I know there are some improvements you want, like with ergonomics and stuff, but like, we we use it to chop up lots of wood.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the other problem is that I think what I want to do is something – I want it to, like, ergonomically work a little better and, like, I want it to look nicer. And I find I'm not really great at making things look nice. I make Mm -hmm. them look okay. I'm usually okay. Like, whatever. It's okay. Like, no one ever looks at my work and says, wow, you're the best craftsman in the world. They look at my work and go, hey, yeah, you make some cool stuff, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. but that's I I'm planning out the like the buck saw. I've got a plan to make a really cool and I'm hoping to do a collab with someone on it. Um, And we'll see, but uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah. I think, I think like being able to be effective at spontaneous projects, a lot of that does come down to experience. Um, And I really relate what you said with like, if you dive too deeply into a craft, it can be paralyzing because then you're kind of chasing this perfection. And it's one of the things that I really like about being more of a generalist is that you get to like keep up that feeling of excitement all the time because you're not, you don't spend long enough on any one craft to try to become like perfect at it. You're always like, you know, excited about these new and different things, which has its pros and its cons. But if you're not, a fine furniture maker, or you know, like a professional blacksmith or a millwright, then it's mostly pros, in my opinion. <laughs> it just depends what your goals are. Um, but you know, like no, I, I think it's also possible to have a more kind of like spontaneous, on the fly approach and come out with good products. It just, it just takes a lot of time and knowing when to focus your energies and when you can kind of cut corners. Um and when you'd be like oh no this is something where I have to make like a specific choice for it's it's building up your repertoire of of skills and experiences oh Grant is frozen yeah, <laughs> this is, we just is so finished. weird the angles all just keep I don't know oh. if it's happening for you guys but the angles keep switching for me yeah oh Grant! Well, oh we're falling apart <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: everyone froze on me sorry oh, about that uh, I, I, yeah, was that me you, you or was that you guys second.
1: that was you you disappeared for sick yeah
2: oh, okay I, I immediately ran a speed test and everything looked fine but huh. but I believe it was me okay sorry if it happens again just keep talking I'll get back into the conversation
1: eventually
0: okay <laughs> Um, Yeah. Well, I didn't have anything else to say on that. So I was just kind of waiting for one of you to pick up. (laughs) Well, I got got distracted with Greg disappearing. I forgot what you said. Uh, I was basically talking about uh, how like number one, being a maker and a generalist, it can be kind of freeing in that you don't have to worry about getting like perfection on things and you can maintain that level of excitement when skills are new. And also how, when you're very experienced, you can be more spontaneous, Um, like Jimmy DeResta.
2: Right. I think, so I was talking with uh, Emily Joyce um, about, uh, like, iterations and making more than one of something, because I often will only make one project, because I was mentioned on the Because We Make Podcasts, and they said, that, you know, I often don't make something more than once. And I don't make something more than once because the first time is like doing the the first sand of a project. You see it go from rough to smooth. and You're like, wow, that was amazing. And every other grit after that, the change becomes smaller and smaller, right? And that's where I feel like I have like the first cutting board I made, I was amazed. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. And every cutting board after that, I went, there was less of an amazement to it. Um, Mm. So that's why I just went, you know what? I don't want to make multiples of stuff because I feel like I don't get as much joy out of the iterations. And I think that's because, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just remember like this conversation has made me think about that.
0: I mean, then you also have to start thinking about like where are you getting your fulfillment from in making things? So if you're making nicer and nicer cutting boards, then... You're right like it will be difficult to get just personal fulfillment from looking at it and seeing it and getting that satisfaction however if you're sharing them and selling them then you get totally. the satisfaction of someone being like oh like this cutting board is beautiful i'm going to use it for years yeah. um and and that's why i think you know among other reasons that craftsmen tend to sell their work not just outfit their homes in beautiful furniture <laughs> Totally.
2: And I could see, like, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's where you get your fulfillment from. And for me, it's putting the thing in my mind into reality. It's when I make ideas reality. Mm. Uh, That's the thing to me that really kind of gets me going. And I totally know other people. It's not. Like, that can be one of the things that gets them going, but I don't know. So I guess that's why I think... I I much prefer doing spontaneous projects is because the time between having an idea and getting something in reality is usually quicker because I'm not spending any time planning.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I think it gets a little complicated when you start, you have to think about like the physical thing. Like I, I agree in that like making ideas reality is probably one of the biggest fulfillments for me. And I've thought about this in terms of like, you know, when I I love gluing wood together, it's so satisfying to like take two pieces and attach them together. And that feeling is like twice as nice as seeing the finished piece of those two things together. Like I enjoy the experience of it a lot more. So I almost feel like I need to make more things for other people to like have the right type of fulfillment. Cause I don't really care as much about of having the thing myself. I more enjoy the process of doing it. I mean, part yeah. of it too, is that like, I only have so much space. So it's like, am I just, how much do I want to fill up my apartment with, with, with material things? I was thinking about this on the way to work actually a couple of day, days ago, which is like, what is the, you know, like the longer term game of making things and making videos? Like, I mean, unless I move to a larger space at some point, like I'm not going to want to keep like adding things to like my space. And one of the great things about this new job is that I will be able to do that a lot, you know, like be able to have those experience and get the fulfillment of adding it to someone else's space. Um, But I I kind of also foresee doing like other sorts of projects that might be a little less material or more just video focused. I don't know. I think it's something I'm going to have to consider going forward. I think that you also need to
1: consider whether you, it's a commission or you're building something to sell. Like if I was to make a table and sell it, I would be a lot less stressed and, and happy about it than if I had a commission to build a table because then I'm building to someone's expectation and not selling. Like, do you know Like, so I, if I was building it to sell it, I'm building to my own expectations and then I price it or whatever on what I think is fair for my quality of work. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I would, the only way I think I would want to get into selling things is by having an inventory. Yeah. Like commissions to me just seem like they add a lot of stress to making that I don't need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like I don't have issue in selling my products. I have issue in commissions, I think.
0: Yeah. Spec work. I think that's why a lot of people do it is it's a lot less stressful. <laughs> Insane. Also, that, go, Sorry, go on, Adam. Sorry. So I was going say, in saying that, like we do have a plan
1: this year to get a CNC, which I guess would be all commission work if we, like, when we start up the business doing that. But like, it's a CNC. Like, it's I'm not really going to have anything to do with it. It's going to cut itself out, and then we ship off the product. You know.
2: Well, like what's. Nice about doing a CNC or, or something like that is that what you're actually putting out there, what you can put out there is like, I can do any name you want in any font you want, and boom, you got yourself mm. a sign, right? Yeah. Or stuff like that. Like, you can be like, you can just des- like, if you, uh, you know, Night Carver Designs does a lot of CNC stuff, and she has, she does it, like these really cool, like, designs and then sells multiples of them right so she makes like teenage mutant ninja turtles is something that i've seen on her or on her feed a lot recently she made like she designed it all up made the you know the little tmnt thing uh and like so she's she's not commissioning those signs nobody's calling up and saying i want to do that she's designing her own thing yeah and then selling it
1: well that's mm-hmm. one of the things i want to do and i've always wanted to do but a CNC is going to make it a lot easier is make, so, you know, like when you buy a house, I don't know if it's the same there, but if you buy a house, like generally the real estate will give you like a bottle of wine to celebrate or whatever. So my plan was to go around and offer cutting boards in the shape of houses for them to give like to people. And then, you know, especially with the CNC, I can add like names to it, which would cost more obviously, or if you really want to go full custom, I can take a front picture of the house and cut the cutting board to the same shape of the
0: house that's been bought.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, well, that's, so that's yeah. custom.
0: Hmm. Adam, do people ever name their houses in Australia? Uh, kind of. So the
1: big thing here is to get like a sign made up for the front of your house, but it's always like something put into like one word. So when we had um, a house growing up, we had a sign that said, going to do. And it was like G U N N A D double O. So it's hmm. like, it looks like it's one word, but it means like something else. So okay. it's like, that's a big thing here. Wait, was that like a family motto? Like I'm going to do it. No, it was, I think it's just like boarded a fair or something. Oh, okay. But so it's, it's like a certain sort of style of um, sign as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, a wooden sign cut into a certain shape with the word cut into it. And then like, that's black. The word is black okay. and then the wood grain
0: and like, yeah, I don't know. So naming houses is, is a thing I, I've noticed uh, in like beach communities around the U S and I think it's because it, it's because people name ships. So it's, it's that like nautical theme. And so people yeah. will give like their houses, like they'll call it like Shelly or, not it doesn't have to be like a a, a water uh, metaphor, but like a uh, Harriet or something. Uh, and I'm, I was they just give asking them actual because actual names, yeah, like people's names, or or something a little more like less on the nose. Um, I was just saying because like doing house signs in that way could be could be cool as well. I mean, when you talk about like houses with CNC, I mean, you could also do numbering. Like people get at least yeah. around here like super creative with. Uh, the number signs on their houses. For sure. Lots of opportunity. Um, so
2: here, there's not many people I find name their houses, but it seemed to be like an older thing that wouldn't happen um, because the original, so I live on what's called Ryan farm and it used to be a farm. If you can, if you can imagine that <laughs> they named the neighborhood after the farm, but the original uh, house um, has a name and it's called, kilmory house um and this has become a big thing in my neighborhood because it had uh two acres of land in the middle of a subdivision which was awesome and i wanted to live there but the person who lived there died and their their kids wanted to sell it off to a developer so they ended up getting heritage status for the house but all the land is now turned into houses So they lost the two acres of of land and got split up into like 19 houses. It's ridiculous. Um, But it was named that by a poet who lived there at one point, uh, William Wilfred Campbell. And he wrote a poem about the house and about living there. So it's just one of those things that I think Mm. if you're going to name something like that, you should probably have a reason why you've chosen that name. Yeah, especially if you're naming an, an animate object, it needs to have a good reason.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: like my my station wagon's name is Katy Perry,
0: and why is that?
2: Well, my wife named it, so don't get on me. But uh, she named it Katy Perry <laughs> because it's a California, ca- it's a California car, it came from California. So, oh, and they have Katy Perry has that song like California Girl or whatever. I think. So, like, you
0: you imported it from California?
2: uh, I bought it off the people who bought it at uh, Beverly Hills BMW.
0: Oh, cool.
2: So, we're the second owner. And, uh, yeah. So, it's like the guy lived in in California doing, like, IT and tech stuff. Mm -hmm. um, And then moved back to Ottawa. Because, apparently, Ottawa is the – this is North Silicon Valley, in case you didn't know oh wow
0: your claim to fame
2: (laughs) sure well we used to have like a huge tech sector but that's a whole nother story
0: yeah blackberry was that blackberry
2: uh nortel was the big one
0: uh yeah so in in going back to the topic a bit there's one thing i thought of um and that is how i think it's easy sometimes to get too caught up in planning projects, especially when it comes to like shop projects. Cause I think shop projects, things of that nature are so focused on workflow. Um, and I don't have a ton of experience this. So maybe I've, your guys's input would be really interesting, but I, I find mm-hmm. it can be even difficult to get started because you're like, I want this entire system in place before I even build one thing to go into it. But I think that's not a very realistic way of doing it.
2: I 100% agree. And the problem comes down to, I think, uh, people getting like too much worried about how efficient something might be in the future and not realizing that you can change things if you don't like it. Yeah. Right. They're like, it needs to be perfect and the most efficient system ever. And it's like, but I'll never actually start it because I've never figured out the most efficient way.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
2: I think that goes down to it. You need to have the right balance between planned and spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you're only ever working spontaneously, you're probably not reaching your full potential. And if you're only ever working planned, you might spend a little too much time planning and not enough time making. But if you enjoy planning, go for it.
1: Theoretically, if you're always building spontaneously, you wouldn't really be trying to learn anything because you would only do what you can do i don't
0: know i mean i
2: I learn a lot of things spontaneously
0: i think that's a rabbit hole altogether and i think (laughs) just one kind of downside to only doing it spontaneously is that you're not spending time kind of like reflecting and maybe intentionally planning to use those skills elsewhere i think you would be you would you would gain a lot of lived experiences that you could probably be applying but um, I don't know. It's like, even when you're working spontaneously, you are planning to a certain extent just by the yeah, nature yeah. of like doing something and taking a second to measure things out or, or sketch them.
1: Would you, would you consider like having an idea to make something, but then going into it without a plan being spontaneous? Like, so for instance, i when I made my cutting board a year ago, whatever, two years ago, I knew I wanted to make a cutting board but I didn't know exactly how I was going to make it. I just glued stuff together, cut it up, glued it back together. Like and then saw what the result was. Like would that be spontaneous or no?
0: Yeah, I would say so.
2: It, I think it all depends on how long between when you had the idea and you actioned that idea. So if you a spontaneous project can be like I'm on vacation and I have an idea for this really cool project. Well, I'm obviously not in my shop, hmm. right? So I can't do it. But as soon as I get back, it's the first project I do. I would still call that spontaneous, right? Now, if I was on vacation and I had my sketchbook and I sketched and planned it all out, then I'd say – I think it all depends on how much work you do between having the
1: idea and actually doing the project. Right. Work you do, yeah. You said time. You me a me confused. Because like, that was probably like six months before I, like, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to build a coding board. And then six months later, I actually did it. But I didn't actually plan anything in, in that time. Yeah.
0: Well, on that, I would like to thank our patrons. Um, we greatly appreciate everyone who supports us on Patreon. Um, everyone over there gets access to the after show. We talked a lot about uh, our favorite movies last week, which was a good time. And uh, I was told I need to see all the original Mad Maxes. Um, yes, we did. also do a pre-show every episode. Um, Grant and I discussed coffee a bit this morning, um, and additionally, every one of our patrons gets a custom or a yeah custom bespoke embossed leather keychain. Uh, one of a kind. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to patreon.com slash clamp. I think custom is the wrong word. I would more say uh, one of a kind. I will leave it at that. Um, Yes. If you want to learn more, you can go there and thank you everyone who supports us. Adam, did you want to say something before we do that?
1: Oh, I was just going to say, how come you guys were talking about coffee?
0: Oh, because we're recording in the morning
1: yeah because yeah, people that aren't on patreon don't know but if we seem really tired it's uh currently midnight or well, it's twelve thirty in the morning for me and it's 8 a.m for them for those guys and Grant doesn't get up before midday so <laughs>
2: i normally at least don't talk to people this early that's for sure
1: yes
0: well we're, we're actually glad all you- on the
2: same day too
0: yeah it's well, crazy
2: not it oh, or not, not anymore
0: not anymore it's friday for me <laughs> oh dang On that, let's go to Clamp Mendations. My Clantmendation this week uh, is a really cool podcast that I recently heard about. It's called Switched on Pop. Uh, It's hosted by two old friends. They are a... One is a songwriter and the other is a musicologist. So basically, like, he studies music from an academic historical perspective. And they talk about pop music. And they do like deep dives into songs and trends and genres. Um, and it's it's really interesting. It's, it's not like super, uh, you know, like academic the whole time. It's kind of funny sometimes. It has good banter. They did a really interesting episode about the death of the chorus because a lot of pop songs the last few years uh, have been very non traditional in terms of like they haven't had the same chorus structure as pop songs last like 50 years. Um, and they talk about kind of why that is, how it dovetails with streaming services and kind of the the music economy, how it is right now. Um, they sometimes do just like deep dives into specific songs. Um, they had a really interesting one when they were talking about like the best summer songs of 2020 about Savage by Megan Stallion and Beyonce. Anyways, uh, I will link it in the show notes. If you're into like, uh, what's it called? Song Exploder. It's kind of like Song Exploder, but not as, uh, I would say it's a little more entertaining than Song Exploder. Uh, I will link it in the show notes and check it out. Are they saying that modern songs don't have choruses? No, they're saying that, so like, you know, if you look at like a, a random pop song from the 80s, it probably has a chorus that comes in within like the first minute or so of the song and then repeats a couple times. But there's a lot of pop songs nowadays that you might not hear the chorus until like two minutes in, it might only go once or they might have like a few things that are almost choruses, but they're more like hooks and some songs now like don't even really have a chorus. They're more just like one A to B. Yeah. Or they, yeah, they might just Literally like nothing just really repeats for three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they do, they did it off, on that episode. They talked about a few Drake songs. I think Drake is a good example, especially some of his more recent stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. Like if you look at like sicko mode, right? Like that's like two songs put together. It's very non-traditional in that sense.
1: Mm. That's why I like it.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, Grant, what is your client mendation this week?
2: Well, I'm going to clamp and date in Instagram. uh, They don't pronounce it. It is Unbenhagen, and uh, they are. Well, this this person's name is Hans. uh, He makes really cool uh, kind of car inspired, like and tool inspired spoons and forks and. And, and kitchen utensils and lots of uh, really cool stuff that way, and, and other kind of furniture and stuff out of mainly out of uh, like a lot of his stuff is out of wrenches, which I think is really cool. Ooh, and uh, so one cool. of the, yeah, he's got like a flipper that's like a, a wrench, and I just think it's uh, I don't know, it's really cool stuff. You should definitely check him out, especially if you're into cars and or tools. It's uh it's really cool how he's kind of combined those two things together. And What's if you want to know like a flipper, like if you had like pancakes and you wanted to flip them. A spatula? No, a spatula is something you use to scrape.
1: Not here, it's not. I yeah, an it might be flip? a
2: spatula. Yeah, an egg flipper. Yeah. I just call them flippers. You can call them whatever no, you want.
1: There's no AR. <laughs>
2: What? There's always an er. I'm not. No. I'm not Australian. I can say my ers.
0: No, uh, we like pronouncing uh, all of our letters. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but anyways, you should go check it out. Uh, he's really good. You, we, you, if you couldn't figure out how to spell that, you can check out the link in the show notes.
1: Hmm. Well, my clip nation this week is. Something something I found, I don't know how I stumbled across it, but it's really cool. There's a, a band that I grew up listening to called Kill Switch Engage, which is like still one of my favorite bands. And this guy has gone and made remakes of all their songs and some other bands actually of like light classic piano. Of the, and this is a heavy metal band and he's called it Chill Switch, Chill Switch Engage. It's really good music, like really good, like study music and everything as well. Like chill music to have in the background. Um, it'd be like, if I could get away with it for reality is like perfect background music for a video. And, um, cool. Yeah.
0: That sounds- Whenever I do editing these days, I'll put it on in the background. Really Sweet. Cool. All right. Well, we do have a new review this week. Um, I did not have a chance to fully research the accent, but I will do my best. I was, uh, I was being a bit of a procrastinator and watching a video while you guys were saying your mandations, But it was so chaotic that I don't really know if I got anything from it. <laughs> so, was trent- trench from Punchbowl? I don't know. It was it was from a show called Houseos. Is that ringing any how- bells? How- Houseos. Okay, what is that? <laughs>
1: have you ever heard of Have you ever heard of a show called Fat Pizza? No. Oh, wow, you guys are missing out. Uh, so Howzo's is I can't remember the actor's name, but the guys from Fat Pizza made a show called Howzo's and it's l- like ha- so Howzo's are people that live in like housing commission. Okay. Um <laughs> but this show goes into like the bad people of housing commission, like the people that live on drugs and all that sort of stuff. And it's like literally like in a rundown suburb where crime's really high and like they do whatever they, like so they pretty much run the town.
2: So it's like trailer park boys.
1: It sounds, yeah. It sounds like a darker version of trailer park boys. Mm,
0: no, not really. Okay. Well, uh, without further ado, here is the, uh, the review from Mark Daner. Oh, God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this.
2: <laughs> it's a little early in I'm the e- morning, too.
0: I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's a five-star review. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, and he says, uh, Fair Dinkin' Awesome. Good G'day, punters. I tell you, I love this show. Three top blokes talking making, living, and sharing. Now, Morley, remember when you research my accent, be sure to Google Aussie Bogan. Also, don't Google Michael Kane. He's a pommy and fair dink we sound nothing like him. I, I just realized I sounded way too Michael Caine there. Um, yeah, you don't say I uh, Even the Southern Aussies like old Jimbo at Fix-It Fingers. Here's another <laughs> butte tip. In Australia, we don't throw shrimps on the barbie. They're called prawns, mate. All right, yeah, nah, oi. Scratch you later. Keep up the bones of work. My cobbles, we love you. Yes, I am that right up. So many words in there that I've never heard before. <laughs>
2: God, there, there were a lot of words in there that aren't real words. <laughs>
0: so, so Adam, is I think, uh, I think for the listeners, you should do a rapid fire definition of all the uh, Australian slangs in there.
1: Uh, let me, let me go through and see what's an Australian slang. Well,
2: you can start with the title.
0: <laughs> fair dinkum. Yeah, what is fair dinkum? Uh, like good. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Sort of. Good, awesome. It says "good, awesome." Is that what it says?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just a word we say. Okay, okay. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do rapid fire. Punters, uh, punters, like people. Okay. Yeah. G'day is good day. What about blokes? Uh, joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think we
0: all know blokes. Um,
1: okay. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs>
0: I know, uh, it's funny, I never would have thought Michael Caine would have, like, anything close to an Australian accent. I've always thought of him as, so, like, way more British. Yeah, Michael Caine's the dude from 007, right? The old guy? Yeah, yeah. He, well, he also plays Wilfred in uh in the new Batman's
1: Dark Knight. So, Bogan is the Australian version of Redneck. Pobby uh, is what we call people from the UK. Uh... I think we went over. Sound yeah, nothing like him. Even the southern Aussie, like Jimbo. So we've talked about this before. Usually, like someone's names, so James, we call him Jimbo. Uh, I don't really have a nickname. It'd be on like ads. You know, we just add an, an ad. and yeah, demo for for Damon or Damian. Um, butte well, that's pretty obvious. Australia is short for Australia shrimps we don't use that word it's prawns so this this here is what gets me that the all right yeah nah that is a big thing in australia to be like yeah nah i don't know if that's
0: i've, I've heard that before no i've heard that as like a big australian thing it just is like a, a filler right like when you're looking for something to say hmm uh
1: scratch later that's pretty obvious keep up the bonds of work so good work Cobbers is like something you would say to your mate your mates, your covers sort of thing. Hmm. Okay. And the part in brackets, yes, I hammed that up that right up. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, it, I think it means just like that. He like tried to add as much Australian in there as he could. Yeah, right. Okay. How about yeah. you say the review in Australian so that people can actually understand the words? Go.
1: Like you want me to put on an accent or just say it normal?
2: You have an accent, so go.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> or, or slightly more bogan. How uh, how Mike wants it to come across.
1: Yeah, go. G'day, g'day, punters. I tell you, I love this show. Three top blokes talking, making, living, and sharing. Now, Morley, remember you research. Remember when you research my accent? Be sure to Google Aussie bogan. Also, also don't Google Michael Kane, He's a pommy and fair dink. He sounds nothing like him. Even the Southerner Aussies like Jim it fix it fingers. Here's another butte tip. In Australia, we don't throw shrimps on the barbie. They're called prawns, mate. All right. Yeah, nah. Oi, you later. Keep up the bonds of work, cobbers. We love you.
0: Nice. All right. That's good to know. I like That's it. Good A- yeah. All right. Um, I wish that- I was more bogan. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I really do because I feel like having a full bogan Australian as a YouTuber would be like so good because people would like be like, oh my God, this dude's like
0: intense.
2: <laughs> what is he camping? Um,
0: uh, oh. Good pun. <laughs> All right. Um, with that, thank you everyone for listening. Um, thank you TF turning for the beautiful theme music. And if you want to watch the show, you can see it on YouTube. The channel's name is Clamp. And if you want to see all of Grant's beautiful cover arts, you can see that on Instagram at Clampcast. We are also on Twitter at The Clampcast. Um, And apparently I'm also supposed to say you can never have too many clamps. So don't forget to share the show with a friend if you do, in fact, enjoy it. All right. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.